0: So let's uh, take our Bibles and turn to Second uh, Peter. Um, we're going to be thinking, looking back again, as we did last time, uh, into history, a little bit of background. Let's pray first and ask the Lord's blessing on this time. Dear Father, pray that your wisdom, your spirit uh, would be working. In our hearts and lives, pray that the Lord Jesus would be honored and glorified. Help us to see things from Your perspective. Uh, Help our hearts and minds to be tuned by Your Spirit to Your Word, and that we would not be interjected into Your Word, and uh, would would be used by You to glorify son the savior our lord and that you would work in our hearts bearing they he would bear eternal fruit and i pray this in jesus name it's given thinking about uh this whole subject of history um peter's context here peter has been first of all warning about false prophets and the dangers that they cause that they're going to arise and they're going to introduce destructive heresies, even denying the mass that bought them. And they will exploit you, and so on and so forth. So those are some of the things that was the warning. We stood, took some time with that. That there's a real warning. It's a serious warning. It helps us to realize that there is a battle going on. And the battle is inside the church. And it's for the minds of of the people dealing with the truth of God. It's interesting. That's kind of the topic we've been looking at all day. But tonight, um, we come back to the text of Peter. Now he's looking at the subject of God's wrath. After the warning, Peter's warning, comes God's wrath. And uh, he starts out by talking about the judgment of these false prophets. Uh, from long ago, is not idle. He's talking about the illustration of the judgment of God upon individuals. We talked about that before. That the example when God brings judgment um, is a, should be a powerful warning and a deterrent to us that when God, when the Lord brings judgment upon the people, uh, and we we looked at, we started that last time, I used the illustration of the spanking in school that was a warning and remembered by me, and I'm sure by others in the class, and had actually had a very calming or Sobering effect upon the class, I think, for the rest of the year. In fact, everybody knew Mrs. Johnson always kind of gave her the respect that most of the time they didn't give to all the teachers, but they give it to her But she she was known for meaning business with the discipline. I mean, she wasn't cruel; she just she she, she was just serious about it, and you tell. So um, that example of discipline was an example of that is in permeated in my, my life and others as well in the class. And we, so we started looking at Peter's illustration here in the text. And uh, the first one we talked about, uh, he says there was the judgment from long ago was not idle. He's, um, before he gets into the specifics, this warning about the judgment. And I, I wanted to just stop. I didn't do this last time, but I wanted to stop for a minute point out, as we're talking about, as we're going back into history, to look at God's judgment, we span history almost like a cross-section wherever we are. We are at this point and we look back to some things and we look forward to some things. The Lord can span everything in the present tense. He can look at the past, present, and future and see it in the present tense. And uh, we we tend to be forgetful. Things happen to us We may, um, I've had that happen to me, learn a real lesson, I'll never do that again, but give myself a a week or two and I forget it and I start doing something that I shouldn't do again. You understand what I'm talking about? And uh, we we tend to be forgetful. But God is not, and the Lord will use illustrations, not just in our lifetime, and this is kind of the thing I wanted to say, but he, he goes back years and years and centuries and centuries and there are examples of his judgment which were executed, that even still to this day, provide us with examples and warnings about how we should live and what should, we should do. Um, there's, there, there are all kinds of illustrations like that in the scriptures, and perhaps one of the ones that comes to mind is a good one. If you remember how the Lord dealt with Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, among the things that he did to Nebuchadnezzar was that he actually made him insane. Gave, he, he became a, a wild animal for seven periods of time. And I don't know if that was probably a seven-month period of time is what I'm suspecting. But I don't know. And he was uh, totally wild. He was locked out of, outdoors and he just ate grass on his hands and feet and his nails grew like claws and his hair grew like eagles' feathers and stuff like that. And then later, his grandson Belshazzar was having a godless feast, and he was was, deliberately was trying to be, I guess sacrilegious is a good way of putting it, just belittling the god of the Jews by taking the sacred vessels that were normally used in the temple and using them for a a drunken party. And in the middle of that, all of a sudden, there was his hand that appeared upon the wall, writing on the wall. And it terrified him. Just The Bible uses very descriptive terms. And even his knees knocked together. He turned white as a sheep. And, and uh, when Daniel, huh? Yeah, that's yeah, right. You know, this very graphic way. Of, anyway, um, everybody could tell that he was, he was uh, scared to death. Not only that, but when Daniel was providing, or telling him about the interpretation of what was written on the law, one of the things he said him was that you knew what had happened to your grandfather, and yet you didn't pay attention to it. You ignored it. You thought you could get away with doing this. And so this is your last night on earth, and it was, he was killed that night. So anyway, lessons like that sometimes can provide good examples of who we need to learn from, we need to listen. and So here is this this passage here. Uh, in verse three, B says, "The judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction does not sleep." And I think about the judgment. And actually, if you if you get a span of history, and you go back in history, you can find God's judgment beginning to fall all the way back to the serpent in the Garden of Eden. And to give an interesting picture, I think of how good. The Lord's memory is and how serious he is about the judgment. The serpent who was judged in the in the Garden of Eden is in Revelation, reappears, and receives his judgment in Revelation. He's still the serpent, and God brings his judgment upon it. These things happen. It's just it's the judgment, the unfolding wrath of God. He remembers, he never forgets. And what he promises, you can guarantee he's gonna do. And uh, when he inflicts something on somebody, um, he says here the destruction is not asleep. He pictures there, I think, the picture of an executioner who is ready to execute judgment. And he's saying the executioner has not fallen asleep. He's not gone to the bathroom or whatever. He's ready to do what I want him to do. The bidding is the judgment, destruction is coming. And it's, it's not idle. And so we started by looking at the angels that sinned and that was in verse four and uh, remember we read it says for if god but you can translate that probably better makes better sense in english since god not spare the angels when they sinned but cast them into hell and committed them bits of darkness reserved for judgment here's the god the lord brought this judgment upon these rebellious angels we've already looked at that so i'm not going to belabor that Um, these angels left probably those that left their. foe, Jude 67 talks about that. They uh, came in and began to uh, have vile relations with people, became like human. they became human themselves in order to do these things, trying to pollute and corrupt the line of Messiah. We talked about that. God brought judgment. He, he confined them to pits of darkness. Um, and uh, they are they're incarcerated, and uh, they're, they are under punishment there. And because and that is a warning, that is a judgment. God will do that to angels. We come now to verse five, where He not only brought judgment upon the angels, but He also says He brought judgment upon the ancient world. That's the old world. So let's read that, and we'll talk about that. Uh, it says that He did not, did not spare the ancient world. But reserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. There, here in this passage, there are two things that come out. There is um, the, the world, the ancient world that he brought judgment upon, he didn't spare the ancient world, but in the midst of that, he did preserve Noah, a preacher of righteousness. of to set the stage. that destruction of the flood of the ancient world um i just wanted to read several verses of genesis 6 and you don't have to you can turn to it if you want to i'm going to start with genesis 6 4 and i'm going to make some interesting comments and i'm sort of over my head because these are things that are out of our realm of understanding insofar as we don't see these things now but we read about them in scripture and they are Maybe be extreme to one degree or another. He says a uh, verse for the Nephilim, this is Genesis 6 for the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also after that. The word Nephilim there, translated in King James as giants. Uh, I believe they're called descendants of sons of Anak. The literal meaning is that they are fallen ones. Um, I read several, one of the guys that I've read a long time, and a lot of things, geez, I don't agree with him about everything, but he does a lot of background, interesting background, and he writes about this, about those, and let me read it to you, just because I think you'll find it interesting. Talking about the uh, Nephilim is, is uh, William Bullinger in his companion Bible, and he says, the progeny of the fallen angels with the daughters of Adam are called, in Genesis 6, Nephilim, which means fallen ones, from Nepal, Nepal, what these beings were can be gathered only from Scripture. They were evidently great in size, as well as great in wickedness. They were superhuman, abnormal beings, and their destruction was necessary for the preservation of the human race and for the faithfulness of Jehovah's word. Genesis 3.15, where in Genesis 3.15, God promised to bring judgment on the serpent, and he promised to do it through the seed of the woman. And the seed of the woman, he, he tried to corrupt that seed, the project, you understand the family line. Uh, this is why the flood was brought upon the world of the, quote, the ungodly. In 2 Peter 2, 5, that's what our text says that, uh, that we're reading, that uh, preserve no preacher righteousness, the seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. It was also prophesied by Jude in Jude 1.14. Jude one fourteen fifteen says that it was also about these men that Enoch, the seventh generation from Adam, Enoch was a generation two before Noah, but Enoch prophesied saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to all. And to all con- convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them, so that you read about this judgment and this preaching of Enoch against the ungodly ones. And remember, in our text here, Noah is also called the preacher of righteousness. Back to that, the writing from Bullinger when he talks about the the. the, the flood was brought upon the world of the ungodly, which was prophesied by Enoch. He says, uh, We read of the Nephilim again in Numbers 13 33, where it says, There we saw the Nephilim. This is out of Numbers 13 33. There we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, which come from the Nephilim. Now it may be asked, Could this be, how could this be, if they were all destroyed in the flood? And the answer is contained back in Genesis 4. Where we read, there were Nephilim in the earth in those days, that is, in the days of Noah, and also after that. When the sons of God came in to the daughters of men and they bore children to them, the same became mighty men. The word is Gibor in the Hebrew for heroes. They were of old men of renown, literally men of the name, that is, they got a name, they were renowned for their ungodliness. So after that, that is, after the flood, there was a second interruption of these fallen angels, evidently, smaller in number and more limited in area. And they were for the most part confined to Canaan, and were in fact known as as the nations of Canaan. And so he says he believes it was for this, this was it was for the destruction of these that the sword of Israel was necessary as the flood had been before. So that one of the reasons he says that he believes that the Lord, the children of Israel, were given such strong advice to. And wipe out these people. is because of this infestation that still, to some small degree, resided among some of them. I think it's interesting to think about that. Uh, we don't know a whole lot about all of these things, but we go back in history and we see these things that took place. And um, there's been a warfare going on. Satan has been busy, been working, and he's he's actively involved. And so um, that that judgment was a judgment that came upon the ancient world. He goes on to say in verse 5, he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah. So here are two things. There is this, this judgment that came upon the ancient world, but in the midst of that, he was able to preserve Noah. That, it's hard to imagine a time of, of greater perversion as you have this, this kind of attack that's going on with some among the, the human race by angels and the wickedness that's going on and the perversion that's going on. And here's this man, Noah. Noah is... Preserved in the middle of that. Yet that's part of the lesson, that's part of the example that he uses here. Um, let me go back to Genesis 6 5, and I will read some of these verses here. It says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent and the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. He was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will not, I will blot out. Man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals, to creeping things, and to birds of the sky. I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's Genesis 6, 8. Genesis 6, 9 then, commenting on this, says, These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. And um, if you go back into the Hebrew there, that idea is probably better translated into King James, uh, could be translated perfect in his generation, Noah walked with God. So let me read that. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God. Bulliger says, and he's... He knows his Hebrew a lot better than I do. But Bullinger says that the way this is worded, with the, with the reference to his generation and speaking of his humanity, and it does refer from birth to death. And what he's saying is that Noah was one of the few people that wasn't contaminated in his generation with this attack that was coming upon the earth, and that he, he that's one of the reasons why the Lord pulled him and his daughters out of this thing was to preserve them out of this. You understand what I'm saying? This wicked infestation, this wicked attack that was being made upon the human race. And um, I, I think that's an interesting thought. Noah became the father of three sons that said daughters, that's his son, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. This, this is remember, this is the world in which Noah lived. God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourselves an ark of gopher wood, you shall make the ark with rooms, and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. And just let me interject here, this is probably the wrong way to do it, but we probably ought to get together sometime and go up and see the ark of the church, and go up and visit. It to do that. This will come back, this will really come alive when you see how big it is and what they had to do. Anyway. This is how you shall make it the length of the ark uh, 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. And you shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubic from the top, and set the door of the ark in the side of it. And you shall make it with lore, second and third decks. Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. You shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you, and everything living thing and every living thing of all flesh. You shall bring two of every kind into the ark, keep them alive with you. and They shall be male and female. I'll just let me also interject here again. Actually, he says you shall bring them in, but he doesn't. I don't think he's saying you're gonna to have to go out and get them. What he's doing is because the Lord brings them in, he says, You'll bring them in, you'll come in, and you'll make places for them, and they'll be settled there. Anyway, all these animals are coming in into the ark. Of the birds after their kind, and of the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the ground after its kind, Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. As for you, take for yourself some of all the food which is edible, and gather it for yourself, and it shall be for food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all, all that God commanded him to do. So that's what he did. We know how long it took him, don't we? It took 120 years to build that. That's the the age. How long it took? And uh, so we know that he did that. We know that that Noah. It says here in the text he was a preacher of righteousness, and that he was preserved with seven others when he brought when the Lord brought the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Ungodly has to do with those who don't worship, don't reverence, don't fear God. Uh, That lack of fear of God is a sin of humanity. People just have no fear of God. <clears throat> so Noah lived every day, day by day, among these people. Uh, they were wicked and godless people. I'm sure that he knew many of them. I'm sure that they conversed back. Well, just like I do, we have friends, and you care for people, and you want people to return from their sin, you want to come to them. But they, are, they, they still have their things that they are doing, and it's hard to imagine what's going on. But We know that Noah preached. He was a preacher of Righteousness. Um, we, we have seen and I think it's it's reasonable to assume that the years that Noah was in his sons and maybe even he had a lot of uh, hired help for the people to build the ark, but they, they built that ark for 120 years and uh, as they were building it, they were building it in a place where there was no ocean, no lakes, there was no mountain and um, it didn't make sense from the logical standpoint of why you would need some kind of a boat like that. And if if I am understanding this correctly, and I know that Henry Morris has written a book on the Genesis Flood and the creation, uh, and he talks about the environment before the flood as having a a real heavy canopy that surrounded the earth, creating a type of greenhouse effect. Have you heard that? And that that greenhouse effect. um, If you go out, if you have a greenhouse, and I've been that, done that before, you have a greenhouse, You can be really cold outside, but the sun is shining, it's fancy, you can go outside and be just as warm as it can be, because the sun shines in and can't get out, and it, it holds the heat. And uh, if you have a greenhouse effect uh, that completely surrounds the earth, it can create a, almost a tropical climate, even north and south poles. And they discovered things like that, where they've had animals and foliage and things like that, animals that, like dinosaurs that died with, with vegetables still in their stomach. And um, so it's, to me, and also another thing is that the the uh, canopy stops the ultraviolet rays. I'm not a scientist, so I'm kind of out of my league, but it, it, I understand that it blocks the ultraviolet rays, which cause aging. And I also understand that reptiles, generally speaking, uh, will grow until they die. So like you have said, a lot of them, it loses in other things if they live instead of two or three years, if they live 30 or 40 years, they grow in size. And so you'll have animals that'll be a lot larger before the flood. And um, anyway, this is an interesting thought to me that this this is the place that Noah preached and Noah worked in an environment where there was no lake and yet he was building a boat and he was preaching to the people in the the midst of this depravity and that he remained faithful to God. He had a relationship with the Lord. God is able to preserve him in his relationship with the Lord among this kind of people, and he was able to reserve, preserve him also when he brought judgment on the earth. Those two areas of judgment he was able to bring and preserve him. And you can only I, you just try to imagine what it was like for him to work with his friends uh, and the co-workers there and tell them what was going on, and I don't know if they were, they were making fun of him. You know, you hear that, they were making fun of and him. And I don't know if they were doing that or not. Uh, they you know, I've heard all kinds of funny stories, but this I do know is that when the day came and Noah finally it, they, they said, no, they're not, they're not, interested. they got too much to do. When that door to the ark closed, it was too late. At that point, there's no repentance. There's no coming back. And that point, that kind of point comes for everybody in our lives and our walk with the Lord. We, it may not be heart like that. In fact, they probably won't, but there'll come a time, and sometimes it may not be on our deathbed. It may just be because we've hardened our heart. We've turned our back, and we've said no. And God says, okay. And it's an invisible line, you don't see it, but from that point on, He doesn't burden your heart. He doesn't work in your heart. He doesn't uh, plead with you or whatever. The Spirit doesn't do that. He's going to let you do what you want to do. And, uh, so that's why it's really important. I have sisters I pray for, and I have others that I pray for. That's why it's important to pray and ask the Lord to show mercy and to really open their hearts. And he hears prayers like that. He, he is delighted that he glorifies him to do that. And so uh, God is a good God, He's a merciful God, but He's also holy, He's also just. He means business. So, with that being said, uh, we see Noah here being preserved. And uh, then we see that this example is an example of how he can deliver from final judgment as well as preserve the righteous out of an ungodly society. Then we come to another illustration, verse 6. Um, if he, it says, And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives, after. Here's the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, it's found in Genesis 19. I won't read the whole thing. But it's, um, you're familiar with the, the picture of God's judgment. It's, it's an illustration that is permeates the scriptures. It says, There were two angels that came to Sodom in the evening, as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them bowed down with his face to the ground and he said now behold my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet that you may rise early and go on your way these are angels that are uh, now appearing as men he says they said however no but we shall spend the night in the square yet he urged them so strongly so that they turned aside to him and entered his house and he prepared a feast for them and he he baked unleavened bread and they ate Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. They called to Lot and said, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so that we may have relations with them. Lot cried out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him. Lot went out to them, I'm sorry, at the doorway and shut the door behind him, And he said, Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Hmm. I never noticed that he called them, My brothers. Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with men. Please let them bring, please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like, only do nothing to these men, inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand aside. Furthermore, they said, This one came in as an alien, and already he is acting like a judge. He's sitting at the gate. That's one of the areas in which you would have leadership there in the city, and he's sitting at the gate as one of them. And I've often thought about that. Why, why would he want to live in such a godless society? And yet the Bible says it was a righteous man. He, he tormented his soul day after day with all this sin that was going around him. He said, uh, you're acting like a judge now. We will treat you worse than, than them. And so he hard-pressed against, they hard-pressed against him, and Lot came near, to break the, they came near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands, the, the angels inside, and brought Lot into the house with him. And shut the door, and they struck the men who were at the door, the doorway of the house, with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the door. So here you have just a picture of the vileness of the city. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it is a it is a, a serious thing, and it's a real thing. And uh, the Lord said, "I'm going to go down and see." And that's what they did. They went down to see what was going on, and He didn't bring judgment upon that city. And when they got ready to leave. If you remember the text, it, it was almost like the angels had to drag them out. They just, they, were, they kept kicking and screaming because they didn't want to leave. They were leaving the house and leaving the, the, all the stuff behind and things like that. And they didn't want to leave it. When, when um, Lot's wife, when they were running away, she, they were all warned not to look back, not to turn around, leave that behind and flee. But she did turn around and she turned into a pillar of salt, which was another sign of judgment. And so this is, this is Sodom and Gomorrah stand uh, as another illustration. In fact, it says here in the text, having made them an example to those that would live ungodly lives. That's a, that's a serious, serious judgment. And fire comes down from heaven on the city and burns that. And uh, here is Lot in this family living in this godless and hostile environment in this society living uh, with a relationship with the Lord, and God goes down to preserve them, to bring them out. And like Noah, the Lord preserved Lot and his family, his daughters, from judgment, just like he preserved Noah and his family from judgment. And um, this judgment that came upon that city was so severe that it was reduced to ashes. And uh, it is even to this day we're not sure exactly where it is. We have a general idea. We look for that. They find some places that there's charred ground, but they're not sure because when the judgment came, it really wiped it. Out. it really wiped it. Out. And the fact is, the exact location is it still remains a mystery this, this day. And so it says here, the judgment is an example for those that would afterwards live ungodly. Jude, in a parallel text to this judgment. Uh, tells us as an example. And let me read what Jude 1 7 says Jude 1 7 says just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them Since they are in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality went after strange flesh are Exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire." so both um our text, Peter and also Jude talk about this destruction as being an example, an example of, of temporal, physical judgment as fire came down from heaven to destroy the city. And the Jew tells us not only that, but it's an example of those who are judged eternally the eternal fire, like the fire beyond the grave. So uh, it's a it's it's a pretty serious thing. Interesting also. And I believe it's, it was, uh, the, I think it was in the study Bible or either the commentary, but I was reading, John said that uh, more than 20 times in those places in the scripture, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is mentioned as an example. So it is an example. So the point is this, and, and, and that's just, this is sin. God deals with sin, he hates sin. And uh, we, we think we're protected. We see the virus coming, and that seems to be so severe. But that's mild compared to what he's done before in the past with things mm-hmm. like such as more and the flood. But he's, he does he does take it seriously. We need to learn from that. We need to listen to that. We need to apply that. That's that's what he's saying. That's why the examples are there. That's why they're mentioned. They are real examples of real judgment from the Holy God upon sinful people, and the God hates sin. He deals with it. And we are more accountable a lot because we have the truth. We know the truth. We know it's wrong. So to know the right thing to do and not to do it is let's pray. Father, thank you for the warnings that you give us. And we know that the warnings that you give us come in love. That uh, we know Ezekiel says you do not take delight in punishment of wicked. It's not fun to you. Uh, you don't enjoy it. And yet we know that you are holy. And you have warned us, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount. You have two people with two houses representing two kinds of lives. One life builds, it hears the word but doesn't do it. The other one hears the word and does do it. The one whose life does not obey the scriptures says the wind, they both look good in time of prosperity, but the wind and rains come and the storm comes of life. And the storms of life come, it tears the house down because the foundation is not strong. We, we hear these lessons. And we hear these stories. We see the examples that you've laid out for us. We know they are real. We know that your warning is real. We do not want to play games with God of the universe, and we do not want to test your patience. We want to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, and to submit to you and honor you because you are so loving, so good. You sent your Son to pay to pour your life, His life, out on the cross for me. Help me to do everything I can to be pleasing to you and to serve you and to surrender to you and not to give you a heart attack. Help us all to do it. And I pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving.